Hello, hello, and welcome to Witch Hassle. I am your host, Deborah Messing, and today I'm going to be talking to Austin Fuller about his new book, Conjuring the Witching Shade and Other Necrosophic Rites. We're getting into necrosophy, which is related to necromancy, and we'll get in, like, very early, I think, in the conversation, we'll get into what is the distinction, what is the difference. It's a fun chat beyond our discussions of the dead and what working with them can be like. And by the end of the interview, we're really cutting loose, it feels like. It gets to be a, a, a rousing good time, a real, a real ruckus. Some, some rakish ballyhoo is on display. So, you know, come for the necrosophy, stay for the uh, relax good time, sensible chuckles. I don't know, I don't want to oversell it. It's fun, it's fun, it gets fun, it gets fun. Thank you to everybody who jumped on the St. Hedwig divination sale I was doing, where, where some of those proceeds were going to be going to charity. I mentioned it in the last episode before I'd actually figured out where that charitable money was going to be going. So if you're curious and you were like, hey, I'd like to give some money even if I missed out on this divination sale, uh, the charities in question were RIP Medical Debt, which buys people's medical debt and then forgives it, and the LGBTQ Freedom Fund, which posts bail for LGBTQ people. So, you know, go check out those those worthwhile causes and maybe toss them some money. And while we're on the topic of money, thank you, of course, to everyone who is supporting this program on Patreon. Your support makes the stuff that I do here easier and more robust. And I give you immense gratitude. And if you're curious about that Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash witchhassle and you can get bonus type content. Uh, I think I'm going to start reading Reginald Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft just into a microphone and posting it up there as, as an audiobook, because uh, it is fun. I was reading it uh, recently, and I hadn't realized. I was looking at the 1665 edition of Reggie Scott's book. Uh, he talks about servitors in there. In 1665, servitors, you know? So, uh, you know, oh, we all we all like to talk about Peter J. Carroll or or, or whoever about like oh the, yes the chaos magicians of the postmodern go go eighties is like no 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 they missed the boat it was sixteen sixty five that's where that stuff starts coming up maybe maybe it's coming from earlier maybe Reggie got it from somewhere else I think that's it for housekeeping oh Halloween just happened happy Halloween all you witch hasslers out there I hope you had a lovely time I was spending the evening uh, doing freelance work on an American history textbook which taught me that American history is bad. But we don't need to accept American history because if we make things into an American future, they will eventually also become American history through that subtle and somewhat terrifying process by which the future somehow becomes the past while only spending a very brief time in the present in between. Uh, a process which I believe historians refer to as photosynthesis. But the thing that's got me thinking about that is Michael Hagemeister's entry into an anthology called The Occult in Russian and Soviet Culture. And in that entry, he talks about... Actually, I'll, I'll just read right from it. If, if you got your copy of The Occult in Russian and Soviet Culture, feel free to follow along. We're on page 195. In November 1922, we find Vasilyev's name among the contributors to a magazine called Besmerti, Translated as immortality. It was the organ of the Petrograd 
biocosmists immortalists immort immortalists who under the motto quote immortalism and interplanetarianism end quote proclaimed two basic human rights the right to exist bravo nabieti and the right of unimpended movement bravo no perdvizieni in effect they postulated the immediate abolition of bondage to time and space now that the social revolution had been accomplished it was time to put the abolition of death the colonization of the universe and the resurrection of the dead on the agenda this demand appeared at the time of lenin's death to be an immediate necessity so there you have it an exciting piece of soviet history that maybe we could try to make our american future and then by the transitive property of time our american history as well and also a great case for the argument you know like is is marxism incompatible with magic and the occult seems like maybe that's a no it just depends what the goal of the magic is if you're furthering the revolution through the occult i see i see no contradiction there uh or i, I i'm pretending not to see one because i don't want there to be uh which is almost the same thing okay well with enough to do i've, I've really been chattering on haven't i good golly uh here is my conversation with austin fuller i do hope you enjoy it thank you so much for listening and happy happy halloween Actually, before we even get to the book, because you just mentioned this, you tried your hand at being a professional makeup artist here in New York City, Go Mets. What was that like? And like, what's the connection like, do you feel like, between like makeup and like magic? Like, do you feel like there's, because I feel like there's a, a strong glamour there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think New York in itself is a glamorous spirit in in itself especially i think every borough has its own like savor and flavor to it i spent a lot of time in manhattan um even though i lived for, and we're talking brief 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 so i didn't get to experience it like a lot of other people did and it was always kind of like looking for work um pounding pavement and stuff like that so i didn't get much time and i was very young to explore but there's a, a a glamour to to magic or uh, to makeup and I think to to fashion I, I think um I'm actually working on a formula right now surrounding some vam vampiric spirits and um some like vampiric lore but it's it's actually going to be like in the form of a lipstick and so it will have like pigment built into it um and yeah it's it's gonna be basically kind of like an ungent but it's it's actually a lipstick and oh yeah yeah so <laughs> um makeup and and aesthetic and fashion were were really impactful to me as a very young kid and I think there's such power to to glamours i've ha been having a lot of dreams lately about like the fata morgana or the um this the city in the sky these uh there's a the phenomena called fata morgana i'm not sure if you're familiar with that i'm not and i feel like probably a lot of people listening aren't either so that's okay it's it's a it's actually a temperature phenomena like how a mirage is like um 
uh, phenomena with um, heat and air on like hot asphalt. Mm. Um, the Fata Morgana is like a phenomena with air on the ocean. So it will actually make mirages in the ocean. It will make like things look like they're reflecting, like there will be like boats floating upside down on it, or there will be like cities being like in the sky. It's like these shimmering mirages of like entire cities, but there's a lot of mythos obviously surrounding like Morgan Le Fay and um, fairies about like living in, in castles in the clouds and the city in the clouds that like no human can get to and more glamour and, and mirages and illusions and um yeah i feel like i'm going off on a tangent that has no, nothing to cool. do with it <laughs> um yeah but i think um the witch is also uh, an elusive figure an illusionary figure um i think a lot of times in like modern occultism people have such like are trying to distinct themselves from like stage and illusionary magic like with crowley's spelling of like m-a-g-i-c-k and then yeah. like magic magic you know yeah. um this is the real magic but in it's in history like they're not separate like I, in scott's discovery of witchcraft there's like basically saying like no like jugglers is also like a form of like they consider themselves witches and it's really just it's it's all an illusion right. um in like his the... sorry go ahead oh like the magician card I think in the Marseille was the the juggler, right? Or the, the yeah, or something like that. Yeah, and and so these these illusionary magics are not so distinct and glamour, <laughs> glamour and lipstick and 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 yeah, you'll have to <laughs> you'll see that I go on wanderings uh, a lot. <laughs> that's that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the wandering. So like a vampiric lipstick. Would the idea be you're just sort of like capturing the aesthetic, or is there a sense that like you wear the lipstick and you have like the seductive quality of the vampire? Maybe you're like sucking some life energy out of people with your with your lipstick. Absolutely, I'm I'm doing some lots of writing right now on a class of uh, vampiric spirits that I have some sort of familiarity with, and lore and also like the impact of like queerness and vampirism and the allegory of like homoerotic relationships and vampirism and cannibalism and how those things all impact each other this is before Dahmer came out and how those things all play around with each other and uh as well as these like the way that media or the illusion or the glamour also impacts the way that we approach these very real, well, real to those who uh, are acclimated to those things, these very real spirits, right? And how we can interact with them. And so this this vampiric formula is kind of the, the idea of like taking life force as like the witch, not quite as a vampire, but like sometimes the witch also having vampiric qualities about her or them that makes sense you know it's interesting also like you talking about glamour and elusiveness because it's making me think about something that i've never really connected before which is that um i think in some slavic traditions there's a sense that the witch's back can never be seen that you're always getting the front facing you're getting the front of the house in sort of a theatrical sense uh-huh. uh and if they if the, if the witch were ever to turn their back to you they would simply disappear there'd be nothing there uh-huh. Um, so there's only the facade, sort of. It's the mask without the backing or something like that, which is an interesting idea. But we should, I feel like we should probably talk about the book at some point. Um, which, yeah. So, so like, why not now? But like, okay, so you've, you've done this book. 
of necromancy and specifically you use this term necrosophic what is the distinction for you what, what makes something necrosophic as opposed to like say necromantic or um i forget what the word is when you're talking to a shade Siamantic. Siamancy. Yes. yes um, yeah, no worries. I, so firstly, I have to say, it was so funny. I when you when you rang, when you called, I was like, oh gosh, I hope nobody thinks that this this little 28 page of hand printed, hand bound, hand edited by my, you know, can I swear on here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, my dumb ass. I'm like, I hope nobody thinks that it's more than it is you know it, it's not impressive work really it is but i mean it, it's not at the same time there's you know there's plenty of i had somebody message me this morning it was like here's every spelling error that's in this book and i'm like ha, why would you they, do that to somebody it's, it's okay it was okay it was a really nice compliment but they were like oh just so you know here's like every latin botanical misspelling you placed in here and i'm like thanks i i <laughs> I sorry, I'm just like on your behalf. I'm outraged. <laughs> no, no, it's it's totally fine. I was like, thank you for the compliment. Maybe at some point I'll be able to hire an editor. the The book um, uh, Conjuring the Witching Shade is is an amalgamation of very disjointed practices. Some that are strictly folkloric, some that parallel very much so the things that I do in a necrosophic practice the term necrosophy from uh necro dead or really relating to the corpse actually like the decaying body yeah. and and the body parts that are no longer living and sophy being wisdom i draw this distinction really because i'm insufferable <laughs> and it sounds like a nice word <laughs> but necrosophy really to relate to the practices of both siamancy which is uh from from greek skia or skios my greek friends will correct me later and uh, which is relating to like the shades or particularly like ghosts it's very much so this this figure that I that I talk about in the book, which is the Witch of Endor, and also Tiresias, both being able to dredge dead ghosts up or the ghosts of dead people without really having to have their bones present. And also like necromancy relating specifically to like, you know, when you do need to go collect cemetery dirt or when you do need to have the human skull to, you know, talk to talk to the chatty ghosts and and things like that. So I, I created this or I didn't create it. It's a word that's I've seen other people use. But this word I'm using is to really kind of encompass the interchangeability of like necromancy and necrosophy, one dealing with like dead body parts and one dealing with just kind of ghosts in general. And I think they get used interchangeably. I even use them interchangeably just for writing's sake. You know, like I said, it's a cool word. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, like it fits in that whole tradition of people using necromancy to mean specifically working with the dead and, and broadly being like, oh, with demons, that's necromancy too, sort of. Or, you know, I'm curious, like how big is working with the dead for you are you one of those people who because you'll, you'll talk to people sometimes you're like yeah i always saw dead people as a kid and i was just like well that's fine uh and then realized that was not normal yeah yeah i um it's complicated in the way that i'm not i know people i think who are a little more apt 
at it or better at it. And mm. it, that's usually not because of pleasant experiences as a child. I saw a lot of dead people as a kid, but dead ghosts. And my my interface, I'm one of those lucky people that like a lot of my family is still alive, at least a lot of the family I'm close with. And so I, you know, my experiences with death as a young kid was in this very like clinical manner, a lot of times with like my great grandmother, some of the family that I grew up with died before I was really able to cognitively remember them. Yeah. And so there is like this with the human dead especially not quite a disconnect but this this uh this pursuing of it where i think for some other people it comes a little more you know that's that's really kind of like the center of their their whole thing and i i do so many i joke around and say that like my practice is like a like a austin fuller's pokedex of of spirits um gotta catch them all (laughs) but i think the witch has no choice but to also be entrenched in the world of the dead and this goes beyond like human kin this is also the the world of like decaying plants decaying animals um the fungi as well as like the gods of the dead or or even like spirits who roam about in cemeteries and at crossroads who may not necessarily be dead or never were living but very much have influence on these places and and these these people who do roam those areas when you sort of interact with the dead now i mean you said you saw a bunch as a kid are you still seeing them or is there a different kind of phenomenological process going on for you how do you know they're there what are they (laughs) what is that like like viscerally what's going on when you're doing that yeah i um a lot of the times it's uh, a central part of what i do that maybe i should talk about more is is um trance work and mm. especially like these very physical repetitive moments movements repetitive motions um spinning dancing i'm quite uh, i haven't done a dance in a long time which is quite sad i was thinking about that the other day but or even just like you know rocking the body shaking the head glossolalia repetitive words repetitive prayers and so this is where the the body for me is is able to be an anchoring point but also where i'm leaving it and meeting somewhere kind of in the middle somewhere in this this spirit world and this is where things get seen or things get heard also divination Mm. i trust my my divination uh methods quite seriously and and also uh dream work as well so you know if you did a ritual and uh, maybe you go home and you go to bed that night and some somebody shows up in your dream. You know, that's that's pretty important. Um, so, yeah, there's several different ways that I'm like, okay, the dead is here or this dead is here. There's also, you know, of course, that the the clear sentience, clear audience. Um, I'm not a, a, a visual person when in like my waking world, um, thankfully, because I do know people like that. And that doesn't sound pleasant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound nice, especially, you know, so many people are like, oh, yeah, we have like a, like a history of schizophrenia in our family. And like, I have to like, check in with myself and make sure that it's not that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interplay of like several different things, mostly um, trans induction and, and divination and dream. So would you be doing this sort of trance work mostly sort of at your home? Or like, would you be doing this in a graveyard? Because I, I imagine 
you know, you might draw a bit of attention in a graveyard doing this sort of thing. But at the same time, like if you're, and we can bleep this out if, if no one's supposed to know this, if you're in Florida, I would imagine there are probably a lot of graveyards that aren't terribly well attended or maintained. And like, you can probably get in there after dark and no one's really going to notice. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm lucky that in the area that I live, it's pretty quiet. I, I call this area the, the weird part of Florida, the weird coast, because we're situated in such a place i mean there's you know there's a, a fabled ghost town you know like five minutes away down the street from me that is literally like not even there anymore it's been completely taken over by the swamp you know we have witch stories of like fabled witches that lived in that live in the swamp that you know howl at night we have cemeteries that are you know dating back to the civil war and all of these complicated and and interesting pieces of history some of these cemeteries are you know i i there is a cemetery near me that is my operative cemetery that i work in one of the graves like the body has been moved and you can tell because like the gravestone is the oldest one in there and it's before Florida was a country, or I'm sorry, a state, a state, Florida, Florida not being a country. Um, it's before Florida was a country. So you can see like this, this moment in history where it's like, oh, you, you were moved down here. But I also will say Florida is a very dangerous place to be at at night. I don't encourage people to, to go tromping about in, in cemeteries, especially where I am. There's lots of bears, coyotes, alligators, panthers, bobcats that uh, want to to eat you so that's uh that's terrifying that's great so you mentioned divination and in the in the book you've got you know spell work there for a, a pendulum made out of a bone from the finger of a corpse and from like a practical standpoint where do you get these bones or is it is it sort of like a substitution thing like you know like you know if you can't have a bone store-bought wood or something is fine <laughs> i don't like because like, like i know there's a lot of like this question of like how do you how do you do workarounds? I know some people would use like animal bones in the place of human bones because it's like close enough or you know. Mm -hmm. No, I I'm glad you asked that question. So I've had a lot of people I've had a lot of people ask me about the the legality of these bones and where they come from and things like that. They're uh let's define ethically sourced bones. No, yes. but um actually I'd love to hear because like I feel like like I used to volunteer at like a witchcraft shop over in here in New York City. And like, I remember hearing the phrase ethically sourced a lot and not actually be like, yeah, that sounds great. And then realizing I had no idea what they meant when they said that, because I feel yeah. like ethics are kind of up for debate. Yeah, I think um, I think people eth ethically sourced, especially when it comes to the trade of oddities and curios, it gets really murky really fast. I have I have a friend who's, you know, kind of sh you know, shed a light on some of the incredibly shady practices. Like, I am not encouraging um, people go do illegal things, um, nor am I saying that I have done illegal things either that involve um, digging up people. But I will say that there is something to be said about quote unquote ethically sourced. Like, what does that look like? Because for me, in my opinion, I think going and tending to the dead that you're close to instead of buying a quote-unquote ethically sourced bone that is likely from India that's also likely been grave drop either by you know by somebody and then sold to a quote-unquote reputable source at a severely low price and then you know resold back 
to people for a couple hundred to even thousands of dollars. I think, yeah, ethically sourced bones is a very strange thing, especially when it comes from like the oddities community, but but even medical communities as well. It's it's it has a lot of um, weird colonial flavors and savors to it that I don't particularly care for. So yeah, don't don't do anything that I wouldn't do or do things that I would do. Don't do those things. Um <laughs> it's interesting because like I, I noticed like I when when I started looking at this that like your book uh comes with a legal disclaimer at the very beginning, which is not common, I think, in magical works. So I can, but I can understand like with this sort of activity, you do kind of want to cover yourself a little bit, yeah. um, bit of a gray area. <laughs> Have you, and you don't need to, so I'm sure you're not confessing to a crime if I ask you this and you answer in the affirmative. Have you made a bone pendulum? Oh yeah, um, yeah, several. And and they're, they're uh, I guess they're ethically sourced. If, if that, um, I've always been, I've been cautious to say that on social media not because because it helps me in any ways it, it quite so helps me uh legally if if we're talking about um ethically sourced bones the sale and purchase of bones in most states i think except tennessee is legal huh. yeah uh why i don't know it's tennessee and a few other countries or states god i don't know why i keep calling us uh our I states you're just you're anticipating the impending civil war that i'm sure will balkanize the united states actually actually um i was also reading on like pre-unified italy so and mm. and things like that a little bit so for uh yes they're 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 purchased i haven't been quite forthcoming with that on social media only because um i don't want to have to I don't want to perpetuate this ethical thing of like, what does it mean to be, to be ethical? And this, I don't want to keep perpetuating this idea that like, because it says ethical on it doesn't mean that it is. And it also, it's like, it's like cosmetic companies saying like, oh, this is clean beauty or like, this is green beauty. Like that means nothing, but yes, they are, they are bought and purchased. And and when we discuss, I think going back to what you were asking um, about the, the bones and the finger pendulum, this idea of like where you're getting it from, how you're getting it, especially because I instruct, you know, like left hand, um things and and some other texts specifically dealing with like hand magic particularly like a hand of glory um is is you know very very it it emphasizes the the left hand right because that's the bad hand the the devil's hand (laughs) but you know i think with the witch's ability to transmute or transform things you know especially surrounding like baptismal rites and i didn't include this in the book because i might write about it another time where i also don't feel like giving up all you know all the things that i do you know magicians and their secrets but i think it is very much so a good practice when you don't have something baptisms and namings are your best friend transmutation is your best friend you know if you it's it's very reminiscent of like the the black cat bone thing where you know maybe you don't have a black cat to boil alive but if you have like some some soot or some shoe polish and you you paint your tabby cat and you say you know cat i name thee black 
uh, I think <laughs> I, I'm definitely uh, plagiarizing that badly from uh, Dr. Al Cummins. But my point being is that there's there's ways to get around sometimes what you don't have. Is it in the likeness of a thing? Is it the same material as a thing? Is it the same color? You know, image magic, sympathy, and and the the transform the transformance of of one object into another by uh, the voice by the speech by by anointing something as such I think can get around a lot of issues with left-handed bones interesting and like you mentioned also a component of this this ethical sort of work or the ethics as you can conceive of them because it does I, I'm realizing now how we're, like your point about like clean beauty is so perfect because like there are so many situations where I feel like if a corporate person said to you it's fine don't worry about it that would be a red flag usually. But for some reason, these like branding terms are like, oh yeah, clean, clean is good. Um, but in terms of like your ethical practices around the dead, you mentioned tending to them. Uh -huh. What does that look like for you? Is that just like making sure the grave looks good? Or is there like much more in the way of like, you know, remembering them on their birthday or something like that? I think that I call so many things relationships. I, I love that word, relationship. Um, and I think that that word spans friendly, contractually, business-wise. I think it spans so many different things. Like, I have a relationship with my mother. That doesn't mean we're in a romantic one. That means we have a relationship, just like I have relationships with my friends, with my colleagues, with, with people I work with. Developing, it is in my opinion that developing relationships is the crux of magic. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the relationships are nice. It doesn't mean that they're ethical. Although I do think there is something to say about flies and honey. So I think that the relationship that people have with the dead is going to be very dependent on their religious tradition. Mm. Um, it's going to be very dependent on their region and culture. So it's very hard. And I think in the, the book, the, you know, the first things that I said was like an apology. Like I was like, this isn't meant to cover, you know, anything that anybody does. You know, if you hopefully this isn't, hopefully you're not following the book to the T. I hope not because you might get in some moral or legal, legal troubles. Um, it is for curio only, but, <laughs> you know, I think that the way that we have relationships with these dead whether that looks like remembering people's birthdays. I went to a to a cemetery with a, a friend of mine the, a few weeks ago and and we sat down at somebody's grave. We were looking for a particular headstone or like a particular occupation of somebody who had died. And we sat down and he had spoke their name. He just said their name aloud, you know, and we weren't looking to go take anything or anything like that. We were just looking. And he was like, you know, I say their name because through their name is their memory, right? What is what is a ghost but the things that they write, the songs that they they like, the the memory of the lived people who have carried them on through song, through poetry, through simple acts as like saying their name, you know. And and that's why I talk a lot about the unnamed dead too, the forgotten dead, the the hungry dead who are you know looking for some sort of placation. I don't like to say elevation. That's not a um, necessarily a thing that I uh, agree with conceptually, but 
the people, the, the shades of the dead who definitely are looking for something, you know, whether that's kindness, whether that's offerings, whether that's memory, whether that's to be housed in something, whether a human body or something else, you know. So I think um, relationships with the dead are very important. Not all of them nice, um, but tending can look like saying somebody's name. It can look like traditional ways of, of, of goetic. So I don't mean necessarily the 17th century Key of Solomon, but the this uh, funerary wailing, you know, this... Mm. Um, this crying on behalf of somebody, this song, this dance. I think that personally in my own practice, there's there's practice of howling, of death howls. And um, yeah, I didn't write about that in the book. So that that was a departure. Um, sorry. No, that's <laughs> <But> great. <yeah. laughs> um, actually, so like, I, I it feels like it would be kind of, I don't know a little tacky to be like please demonstrate a death howl but like what makes a death howl different like like maybe describe it instead of i don't want to put you in the position of being like i demand a howl from you but like oh poor poor your um headphones would break i also have know. like a i have a, a baritone anyways so i howl in a, a really awful falsetto um <laughs> that's great okay so loud falsetto yeah loud what are some falsetto. other qualities of the death howl um you know, honestly, it's just heartfelt. I wouldn't even say it's, it's, um, so singing, I think is really important. Music is really important. Um, a huge, like, conjuration is, is such a personal thing, regardless of how we want to structure it in, in grimoire traditions, or even in my writing, it's, it's not a one size fits all operation, especially when you're working with things that are as complex as, as people and so you know not everybody responds to things in the same way one successful thing that i've done is obviously dancing as well as like i don't know the dead are a little bit more oh that's a nice thing that you're doing thank you but uh, you know maybe if maybe if you um maybe if you sound like a, a really bad singer maybe don't sing i don't know <laughs> maybe they don't like my singing i think too it is a method methodological 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 i don't know it's a methodic way of of singing of of wailing of crying out there's a lot of like folklore especially around whistling in graveyards and why you shouldn't do that and what happens if you do you know uh what, what does that cause and so making making a disturbance or a ruckus in, in cemeteries at night is something that I think has a lot of history to it. And this also isn't something that I usually would do in a cemetery because I don't want to draw attention to myself. It's also not common. I know we didn't really, I didn't answer that very well back when you asked, but no, I'm not always going out into the cemetery and doing this kind of work. Sometimes it is done at home. Some, most of the time it's done outside though or like done at a cemetery or a crossroads oh, okay um, so like a sta like a standard like you know an intersection somewhere not necessarily in the graveyard or near the graveyard right right absolutely yeah i, I it's pretty not common that i would also invite shades to my own home just because i don't want to deal with it um mm, there's pardon. some there's some messiness that goes on there that i am just yeah 
yeah, sometimes it's bad dreams, sleep deprivedness. In in the work that I had written, you know, I'm like, when you're, you shouldn't always do this. You shouldn't need to always, you know, maybe there are better ways or better spirits to go work with than, than these very like hungry, hungry dead um, spirits. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe when you're not doing this, go spend some time out in the sun. Maybe don't wear black, you know, drink uh, nice tonics that are very flavorful and refreshing and uh, some good food and have fun. Be around your friends and family, you know. Yeah, um, part of being a necromancer is not being a necromancer all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't um, consider, uh, don't, you don't need to be spooky all the time. <laughs> the true goths don't say that they're goth. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the goth that self-identifies as a goth is not a is not the goth um, mm-hmm. in the in the Tao of the goth. You you mentioned like there are other spirits that might be better suited for things or don't come with the same baggage as working mm-hmm. with like the dead. What makes what's a scenario that calls for the dead? What what like what are the criteria for you that like okay I'm doing dead people stuff as opposed to I don't know gods or angels or elementals or things like that hmm. i think again this is this is um all based on relationship and i think this is also just knowledge of like who do you know maybe it is better that you go to you know the judge that is dead in your local area if you're in a legal case in your local area mm. to to you know maybe speak on behalf of you through you know the sympathetic virtues of magic excuse me to to talk into the ear of of maybe the living judge who's overseeing your case maybe that's better than going to uh, a distant i don't know i don't know who operates over like a deification of of uh courtly cases um but you know maybe maybe that person's a little bit better suited um or, or you know, why why go through the work of dredging up a, a, a demon to do your bidding when you could, you know, either politely or not so politely ask, a, you know, a judge to do it? That's an or interesting, maybe... like, aspect of this, right? Because I, I feel like there's so much in the idea of, like, you're building relationships. And you've mentioned a couple of times, like, they, they might not be the friendliest relationship. And, like, I think it's fairly intuitive how you could maybe ask a dead person to do something like maybe offer something at return like I, I don't know what your standard offerings would be but i imagine things like water wine booze tobacco stuff like that probably but like if you had to make a ghost do something and be a real dick about it what's what's the method what's what's the protocol for for being an asshole to dead people i think that um i think that depends on the tradition you're in but i think a a common way maybe not the way I would go about it. Maybe it is. Um, I would, uh, you know, maybe it is good for if you do have to be a dick about something, you know, there's this, I, this idea of bottling spirits or even, you know, the compulsion of like asking bigger spirits. Like if you don't do this, I'm going to get a bigger spirit to come, you know, and show you what's what, or, you know, stealing things from from cemeteries that are you know part of this person you know the the, these dead people whether it's dirt or dust or something a name even and uh you know bottling that or putting that in a vessel and there is there is this idea of like uh spirit torture you know if you 
have a, a very fiery spirit you might like drown it in some water its name or a, like a sigil paper and you know dunk it in water and it's like <laughs> you're you're gonna do what i'm gonna tell you to do or especially if you're if you're not coming if from a goiter solomonic kind of thing i think you know calling upon adonai and you know his thirty thousand other spirits that lead up to him i think that might put you at a better position to to compel something right especially as in in this great chain of being like everything kind of answers back to yahweh and and so that wasn't meant to be a dig at my solomonic friends that was actually like maybe maybe it is a, a really good system of magic because like people write about it a lot whereas opposed to like uh, a sinner like me um <laughs> not to be oh, like ooh, so ooky spooky but you know <laughs> maybe maybe you have to be a little bit more thought-provoking in how you're going to do something because maybe god doesn't answer to you specifically so you know you might have to get your hands dirty and you might have to to spread these spirits ashes to the wind or you know keep them in a box and tell them that you're gonna torture them for days and days or even even like in uh the greek magical papyri you know where it's like if you don't do this thing for me the sun will never rise for you ever again so sometimes it could just be a good threat mm. bottling a spirit how would you sort of go about because like i i you know I was, I was interviewing hoodoo moses a little bit back and he mentions bottling spirits that are sort of attack spirits right like things that are coming uh-huh. at you and you know so presumably this is like a, a disembodied thing that's sort of like you know it's in the air but i feel like uh-huh. like with the spirits the dead especially if they're in the grave already it, it seems like it'd be hard to kind of especially if they're being sort of unresponsive it seems like it'd be hard to kind of coax them out far enough to you know seal them so how do yeah. you how do you go about like trapping the dead and potentially being you know in violation of the geneva conventions with them if they're you mean if something's being like sent at me or if i'm trying to get something that's just not doing what i wanted to do if you're trying to like compel like a dead a dead person i think um hopefully you would have access to their grave so there yeah. is physical materia that you can put in there and maybe bottling is uh or like housing something but kind of in a, this idea of like imprisonment of like your mind now um mm. and is the distinction there one of intention or are you also doing like you know a house has a lid a, mm-hmm. a prison has a wax seal around it or something mm-hmm. like that okay. yeah yeah F- uh, like uh the the ideas of of how is <laughs> is this sealed up and and should it be able to go anywhere yeah two or or like a red string red thread i think wax is a really good way to do that as well and you know putting putting specific seals on top of it to keep them there um, so that they're not breaked or so that they can't be broken but um what are some good trapping seals i think that would really depend on on the the person and and what their lineage looks like what their what their magical instruction looks like in the book that i discuss or in the book that i i write there's these seals of um or these sigillums that are really narrative charms but they're like condensed to be in sigil form so i think you know doing things if you're if you're going to take like spells and and reduce them down to um their sigillum hopefully it's a good narrative charm that you know works yeah so i think that there's many different ways i've heard people just putting you know just a five-pointed 
pentagram over it or a cross or an X, which is the same thing, or maybe it's not, you know, so there's so many different seals. And also it's, I think it's going to be really dependent on the spirit that you're working with as well. You know, especially if you're, you're conjuring, like, um, I think maybe what you were getting after a, a while ago is like, what if you're bottling a shade and you don't have like a, a grave to work with? There's, you know, spirit traps that you can can lay. Um, I think conjuring triangles are, I talk a little bit about uh, the triangle in the book. The triangle is, is I think, a, a, a passive membrane until it's not anymore, you know, until you seal that up, maybe putting names around it. Oftentimes you'll see like Mikael or, or another archangel's name like drawn on the around the um the triangle but that that works in so many different ways okay let's let's zoom out for a second here because i feel like we're getting really into the details which are great which but like i i I, there are some things i want to ask you that are a bit more i don't know uh holistic theoretical let's say so in the book you've got excerpts here from some works that i think are fairly canonical in the western esoteric tradition you know regal scott's discovery of witchcraft the testament of solomon the 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 key of solomon and you mentioned in, in presenting these that you don't think it's necessarily helpful to provide readers with a full praxis, yeah. but rather you'd like them to sort of s- see what they can develop in between these sort of major touchstones. Mm-hmm. And what, what would you say like is the value of that? Like what comes from doing that? I think I'm lucky enough to know so many people within lineage traditions some not even like solely witchcraft i know people who are a part of a lot of um lukumi traditions some people who um are you know a part of uh developed witchcraft legacies as well as like people who have like very long-standing lineage-based roots in in not british traditional wicca but like kind of they have lineage they have lessons to be learned they have a passing of knowledge they have familial spirits that are passed down from age to age and that's wonderful i didn't have that i don't have that i don't have a i don't have much you know <laughs> i i have a a patchwork of a practice and i think i maybe i did say that in the book or i know i re- wrote it down recently maybe it was on my last post of instagram i don't know but I, I talk about this patchwork of a practice, this, this, I, <laughs> I know people would cringe at the term like eclectic witch, but like, is that really such a bad thing to say when like, you really are? I mean, I'm, I'm pulling from every scrap of, of folklore that I can find, every little bit of history, every little piece of, of, of everything. And, and that does inform who I am, what I do. And I don't think it is conducive to a healthy magical practice or a, not even healthy, but like good, uh, a smart, a a learned magical practice to copy and paste everything. Now, we're all permeable. We are inspired by our peers and the people that we meet and the experiences we have. So I'm not saying that like, obviously, like you're getting this info from somewhere. Absolutely. But it doesn't help. Firstly, I didn't, I'm not qualified mentally to write down 
every single little piece of of this necromantic practice. There's so much here. I mean, you couldn't open that book and be like, okay, well, what about um, just maybe not working with shades? Maybe let's not start there because maybe let's take some baby steps before we're we're dredging up ghosts in the cemetery to to make packs with. <laughs> maybe that isn't a good place to start. And then then comes into the question, well, then why did you write it? <laughs> and I also think that's because there's a lot of information out there about baby steps. And there's also, I think there's there's something to be said about the, the patchwork of a practice that I have, these uh, quilted blankets of folklore, of myth, of intersected religion that's also coming from this uh, queer blasphemic perspective that I, that I have. So sorry, I got lost in the question. That's okay. I, I'm I'm curious actually because because it sounds like you know when we talk about like what are the connective tissues that you have formed between these big kind of important you know works and texts and such, and it sounds like a lot of it is sort of smaller texts, right? Like little snippets that seem to kind of fit in between. Does that feel accurate, or is there something? Is there more sort of like experiential stuff going in there? Is there more sort of like you know, I talked to a ghost and the ghost said this, or like, I tried this and it didn't work, but I tried it like this and it kind of worked, or like how, like, what is the web? It is all of those things. It is, I think it's good to know some texts really well. I'm pretty familiar with Key of Solomon. I'm pretty familiar with like the way that that's influenced. And that's the the Clavicula Solomonis, not the Lesser Key or the Testament, but the S.L. McGregor Mathers version, because there's also different versions out there. I'm pretty familiar with that text. Um, so I think I reference it a lot in my written work, especially because there is a importance on it, I think, in the quote-unquote Western esoteric tradition. But obviously that, it, it's not a big book and there's not that, there's not that much stuff in it. And it's really not that instructional either. It's, it's, it gives you some, some basic things to work off of and, you know, that's kind of it. There has to be so much there's a lot of trial and error in in some of the stuff that I do. I was joking with a friend the other day about some particular spirits I've been trying to work with. And I'm like, it is not working. We are not having, I, good things have came out of it. So I guess in that way it is working, but like, they're very much like, we're not, no, I don't want to do this. And <laughs> and so I'm not going to. And and I know this, I, I can feel it. I've done divination around it. And it's like, why is this not going on? So, you know, there's more work to be done before that's able to even be fully talked about. And so I think with a lot of this stuff, there's folklore. There's also, um, like you said, those small snippets of, of text. There's small snippets of mythos i mean i'm in in that book and also in like in practice too like there's compulsions like invoking the name of of tiresias there's invocations to lazarus there's invocations to the witch of endor and giving her a name or finding a name from from plays from jewish encyclopedias you know and and then you know the names that she also responds to and the name that she also tells you privately that you wouldn't share with other people mm -hmm. um so yeah relationship buildings mm -hmm. yeah. yeah hi everybody if you're hearing this it means you're listening to an abridged version of the episode on spotify or soundcloud or something like that if you want to hear the full version of this episode which i think clocks in around an hour 45 minutes ish 
and and here Austin and I get into a ritual Austin did to make contact with the queen of the fairies or a queen of the fairies and also I think we talk about humoral theory in the full version which is fun you know the humors and stuff uh, you should pop over to patreon.com slash witchasshole and for five dollars a month you get the full version of this episode you get a bunch of other bonus stuff you know consider treating yourself be nice you know as an act of self-love give yourself the gift of witch hassle and support the program uh which you know is something that i very much appreciate uh but on to the rest of the interview hugs and kisses In my spirit ecologies, it's good to have like your central spirit, which I have like a familiar spirit to to be very cautious of like who's making sure that you're not finding spirits who may look like other spirits and, and are trying to fuck you over. Um, so yeah. Let's let's talk for a minute about that familiar because I'm very curious. Like, how did that start? How long has that been going on? And like, what's your sense of this familiar spirit of like what kind of thing they are i take the very early modernist witch theory approach to the familiar spirit i know some other people are very much oh my familiar is like a dead person for me like the familiar spirit at least in the way that i speak about it i know other people have opinions but like that very much so is a witch imp spirit that is like a gift from the devil some would say upon initiation mine was not i had to ask for it uh, yes did you ask the devil or yeah 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 there's uh the the initiatory witch father spirit that that i operate under Ooh. Who's... so wait wait now i'm sorry i don't i don't mean to keep hope but like okay no so that's okay so this this witch father spirit that's not like a guy you know that's like a spirit that you're talking to or is that the devil i would say a devil okay. a a devil um i think there are many i think maybe you know i i don't have that that the mysteries of of the devil unraveled and i don't think i need to uh in the way that it's like are you one spirit are you many spirits are you the reflection of um several different different spirits and i think that's okay that i don't quite know but there are instances where it's it's very much like I am this spirit and you will address me in like that autonomous, like I am my own thing kind of way. And so, yeah. Uh, and also like, are you, and these are questions that I, I have, like, are, do you just live around here? Is it just because I'm here? Can you be in multiple places at once? Uh, and and uh, why me? And why you and me together? Like, why is it this particular relationship? If there's more of you, if you're kind of inferring that there's more than one of you, then why is it you in particular? But yes, uh, a devil and and a familiar, or what, the familiar, excuse me, a, a familiar that is, I guess, given to you. Okay, so you've got like a little little kind of imp Yes, yeah, I call it like that. The imp, yes. I have a a friend who is clairvoyant that has, or like sees spirits who is like, I call him T-Daddy because he reminds that uh, my friend of like the Tasmanian devil, I guess, when when he is 
I've done like divination for a friend before and, and this spirit is always present for that. And he said that like upon entrance, he, he comes in like a, like the, the cartoon Looney Tunes, da- Tasmanian devil. Yeah. Whirlwind, the, the voice. The, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So weird spirit, weird spirit stuff. Yeah. That sounds super fun. Wait, so is he not, is the imp not always, I, I, I gotta stop calling the spirit the imp. I feel like that's insulting. No, is, is no, the, actually, I think that's a really good way to address that that spirit. Okay, is the, is the imp not always around then? Is it sort of like you have to call the imp or is the imp just sort of like, you know, it's like having a cat where sometimes it kind of wanders in, sometimes it's out somewhere. You're like, you're like, I know it's in the house somewhere. It's fine. It's, it for me at least, it's, it's very that. Um, I also, I have... I'm not like this, this type of person to, and I'm also very skeptical of people in general who are very this way, who are always tuned into to something or supposedly t- tuned into something. Um, I have boundaries. I, there, there, are, I have office hours. Sometimes I don't want to see you and I get, you probably don't want to see me sometimes. Also, sometimes I might, send it to go find things for me especially when we were talking about shades of the dead unnamed things there are i think a lot of what i do um and this isn't just for necromancy this is a lot of other things it's like getting a spirit to find you a spirit to find you a spirit to find you a spirit to so on and so forth to to sometimes you know who's best fit and also sometimes you know that might be the first or second second round of who knows who down the telephone line but yeah uh i think something i didn't talk about in the book which again is why it is not pertinent for me to give somebody an entire magical practice is because like i have a particular central spirit that i work with that is efficacious and very helpful to what I do, as opposed to, I don't know, conjuring, you know, whomever and whatever from the beyond and interacting with that spirit ecology and the things that this spirit may have led me to, like Laura Hama or, or I'm sorry, the Witch of Endor or, you know, other spirits. This actually brings up a sort of another like kind of zooming out question that I wanted to ask you, um, or at least an, an area that I wanted to, to, to pose an interrogative about at you. that You say sort of in this book, that, you know, there's all this sort of ceremonial magic that leans very heavily on the Abrahamic tradition, right? So there's a lot of like, you know, talking, you know, Ad and I, I call upon Ad and I do this sort of thing. And and you, I think, have indicated in the book, and you also just now I'm talking about how you have a very strong relationship with a devil, would seem to be playing for, let's say, the other team a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so how do you, like, especially like, for people who are maybe uncomfortable doing Abrahamic stuff because of, um, you know, name a reason, lots of good ones. Like, is is it just the recontextualizing of this? Like, is it just sort of like, if you, as the person you are with the relationship that you have with the things that you hang out with, do the same kind of like holy this and that, that a priest might do, it becomes sort of, you know, revolutionary, jailbroken, whatever you want to say. Or is is it is it not about who you are so much as just like the approach? Like if anyone is doing this stuff outside of the specific conditions they're supposed to be happening in, it becomes, you know, heretical, devious, diabolic, what have you. I think a little bit of 
both. And I think this is where it's good to talk about like the difference, uh, I think, within the popularity of traditional witchcraft, whatever that means. That's why I like folkloric better. In the popularity of that, there is a conflation between heresy and blasphemy that I don't think is quite helpful. Mm. Um, I think by definition, like heresy is just happening outside the walls of the church or is not canonized, whereas like blasphemy is very much against it. And so I think... I can only speak on my own personal experience with these things, my own personal experience with I, a lot of people talk about a crooked path, you know, and, and being able to straddle that that diabolic and also pagan and also not pagan or diabolic, you know, maybe Christian or or something. For me, I know personally, like, I know where I stand. And maybe that's that's less of like a, a God thing. And maybe that's because like, well, that's what you said, you know, maybe, maybe that's because like you put yourself in this position. So I don't know. It, it, it is hard to, to say whether, you know, maybe, maybe there are things that are better suited. And I think that's why I said earlier, like, you know, maybe, maybe that isn't a dig at the Solomonic tradition. Like maybe it is a good thing that you are rubbing elbows with the Godhead, you know, for me, I know it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and maybe that's because I put myself in this position. You know, maybe I did close myself off to to some things. That being said, I, I, I think there are things that when they are removed from the context of the church, I know I talk, well, maybe I do actually, what is in my book? I have no idea. I mean, you um, did I, mention in the book, which maybe would be a helpful, uh, uh, illustrative example right the idea that if you do the, the the benedictory sort of hand gesture which i'm doing and now realizing that because this is an, a podcast no one has any idea what i'm doing but like you know the kind of you know two fingers up mm-hmm. and then the other fingers kind of curled around you might see in a lot of religious paintings if you do that but you're not you know officially sanctioned to benedict anything suddenly it becomes heretical or even blasphemous yeah it's uh it's not yeah it's from from my the perspective of some Catholic friends, like you are not supposed to do that unless you are ordained to be able to do so. The mark is supposedly from St. Paul, St. That sounds right. He seems yeah, like the that... kind of person who'd be like, you can't do that. Uh, that's yeah. This whole deal. I, I, it's, it's, got the book it's the first Pope. <laughs> uh, oh, no, Peter, Pope Peter the Apostle, my mistake. That's yes. Uh, How it, dare it's, I? It's always the peas, the p ones. It's he's the the pope, the first pope, and you know his his hands are. Uh, he has a, a nerve thing that is actually conflated because they they might say that what he had was a uh, like the actual the quote the true benediction would have been like a like a Doctor Spock kind of hand gesture where the the. Uh, middle and ring finger are bisected and uh, it, what we normally see is like the um the lack of being able to lift the ring and by extension the pinky because of the the connectivity between the the middle finger and the ring so this might not be the true benediction you know maybe this is um huh. <laughs> yeah uh, i said this is as as people can see me but they can't um the, the the this might be the vulcan thing uh not the not the standard i'm you know pointing two fingers two, two fingers up just for the kids playing at home um yeah. <laughs> gosh it must be so interesting being a baseball radio announcer and just having to spend so much time being like uh he hit the ball 
30 degrees from center of the of the field uh at an angle an acute angle going up at a speed of approximately 78 miles per hour uh oh and it's already happened the plane is over i'm sorry that's the second baseball reference you've made and so now i'm like oh you must really like baseball or be sure familiar i don't um i I think it's i mean i used it's like going to a picnic right if you do it right but like i i I imagine i've got it on the brain because there's a chance i don't know if actually i haven't paid close enough attention to this is still possible but it's possible the yankees and the mets might play each other in this in the in the world series which means it would be a subway series i mean i wouldn't be going to any of these games but they'd be very close by so right it's good to pay attention i guess i don't i i like the poetry of baseball you know I, i i i saw this great video of like a like an announcer who was like you know very slow game going on i think the guy might have gotten walked or like you know hit like a you know got caught out or whatever but like the whole time he's just like telling the story of like well you know these th- this player and his wife they uh they have a ranch and uh one day on the ranch the wife finds a snake and she uh, attacks it with an axe and as they're as they're going about the axed up snake they find two rabbits inside of the snake and one of them starts to move and so they raise the rabbit back to health and release it into the wild. Uh, another strike. Uh, that's two and three. And like you know, like going back and forth to like baseball is still happening as he's talking. And then he's just like, "This is an important lesson about life in baseball. You know, be I, like I, one of those rabbits." It's um, actually the exact same thing that I think witches who are i'm sorry magicians and magical operators or people within traditions who write books and have podcasts and talk about magic i think that's the exact same way that it would sound like to maybe a a non-magical person it's like you're you're talking about baseball but you're also talking about 30 other things within that it is sometimes when i listen to the way that i speak i'm like did you really you should stretch before you reach like that austin um (laughs) Uh, like, oh yeah, um, here's how Klempt influences my magical practice. <laughs> you know, things like it's that. It's all germane, right? If it's a magical universe, <laughs> exactly. Well, what on earth were we talking about? I don't know. But that was such a departure, but I'm really happy we got there. I guess recontextualizing religious stuff. Uh, it yeah. becomes potentially, so you're saying it's like, you know, if you, there's a possibility that this isn't just like heretical, it's blasphemous, and you're kind of in a blasphemous camp, it sounds like. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, back. yes, I think for some people it could be quite heretical. I know from my friend who is like very much still Catholic, but also like falls into that full Catholic camp, like, is it okay that they use the benediction sign? Probably not by the church, but like, is God going to shake your head at it? I don't know. That's between them and God. But for me is it okay for for it to do i don't know uh well maybe maybe for for one side of the camp and maybe not for the other and i don't like viewing the world in such a diabolic or a dualistic way well diabolic fit there too but also i have in my own theological worldview i I don't really quite have a choice at least between those two camps everything else is a gray area yes so i i think like you know some things that i also don't talk about is like it uh in in the book mainly because they're they're quite personal to me is like i have a priest a stole and i wear that during certain like rites of of naming and uh, uh, baptism and and funeral rites things that should look very christian you know and aren't and is that is that to sort of like 
but kind of Promethean wise, Prometheus wise, like steal some of the power of the God singular in this case, I guess, uh, to do stuff. Or is there sort of like a sense of like, if you're working with like Catholic dead, they might appreciate having some Catholic stuff done at them. I actually have never thought about it that way. No, it's definitely more so in the sense of like, I'm stealing something or even just like, (laughs) kind of in the way of like, haha, I have this. Um, Like, is it necessary for me to wear? I don't know, probably not. But like, also, am I going to stop? No, because I because I do have it now. And so, yeah, I think I think it's definitely this this taking of something and it was a gift from a good friend. So thanks if you're listening. It's lovely. You know, the real magic is the friends we made along the way. The Um, relationships. Yes. Yes. Okay. Actually. Okay. So I'm not just being an internet poisoned psycho by saying that um so (laughs) so i want to ask you a little bit about like i feel like standard graveyard protocol it comes up so much that we don't really need to talk about it because i feel like just google this stuff but there is something that i did want to ask you about because i feel like it it gets down to that personal relationship kind of thing you mentioned in the book standard practice when you're going to a graveyard you should stop at the gate you know ask for permission to go in and leave like an offering has anyone ever told you no that's funny you ask that um a few weeks ago we were a friend and i we were going to a not the cemetery that i usually operate out of but a different one this cemetery is old it's out in the middle of nowhere it is secluded it has a history of robbing because it's a good place for it. I mean, if you were going to do it, it's literally like a quarter, like the, there's a parking lot. It's not a parking lot. So firstly, the, the, the entrance to the cemetery is on an old road that nobody uses anymore or hardly uses. It's like a back road and it's on a curve. So while you're going around the curve, if you weren't looking to your left, you would miss this cemetery there is a sign there but it's like a historic marking sign so it's very easy to miss Mm -hmm. it blends in it's out in the middle of the swamp and to get there it's already fenced off this isn't even the entrance of the gate the the entrance is is already fenced with like a you know one of those farm farm gates that people put the the padlocks around and they have Mm -hmm. the, the three bars and they're very light that you can like drive tractors and shit through. And we, I've been to this cemetery a couple of times and had a fine experience. But this time that we went, we went, I think, with an intention that the spirits there knew or something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe we did some protocol wrong or something like that. But we were walking in there. Now, mind you, it is also out in the middle of the swamp. So so bear in mind that, like, real things also happen. Um, by real, I mean, like, material things also happen just by, by happenstance. But we were walking, and we hear this growling, this grunting. And um, it it spooked me um, because we're out in the middle of the woods. And I know, I know the, the creatures that live out here. And so we finally get to the cemetery gate. It's like a, like a quarter mile walk from the first gate to just get in. You have to go to another gate to get into this cemetery, which is surrounded by trees on all sides, a very secluded area. 
and we hear this grunting and we're basically like at this point it's like okay um we can move on but we have to be very careful about what we're doing and we get to the cemetery gate and we decide not to go in for whatever reason i don't even know on our way back we hear this grunting again and i recognize it this time i'm like oh it's a it's a wild boar we have like an invasive wild boar problem around here and i mean they're just they're really tough creatures they're very aggressive they like to chase people they are faster than people and and they're very territorial and uh usually if i'm trudging about in in these spheres they usually have like a firearm on me or something like that but because i was taking somebody i didn't bring it because i wanted them to feel comfortable not that they would have probably felt any type of way to for me to not have it but i just left it at home and it very much felt when we left i mean we were kind of booking it and i was like trying to make sure that we weren't going to get gored from behind by a wild boar. I was expecting it to pop out at any minute. And we, we, we got out and it was fine. My friend picked up a stick, this like rotting piece of wood that like, you know, the really soft wood that you can just snap with your fingers and it will just crumble. And I'm like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> like, it's more than you have. But my point being, in, in this moment, it, it was a very much so, like, I know what you're coming here for, and I don't like it, and and mm. uh, get out. Very much that. Even if it's by this this wild animal, you know, whether it is or it isn't a spirit thing, I also kind of have mixed feelings about differentiating those two. You know, maybe maybe this boar is the guardian of of this cemetery, and maybe it doesn't want you walking anywhere near this place. And yeah. So if you were to go back, oh yeah, please. No, I'm sorry. I was just saying a really long story to say, yes, things have told me no before. Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting because that's the form, right? It's not like you go in there, you knock and you say like, I would like to enter the cemetery and like, you know, do some divination. You just get like, no, it's, it's something more sort of in the sense of like, um, you know, like uh, the, I think like in um, the fate of the dead, Theo Brown's sort of, folk study of like uh of like death beliefs in like western and it's very specific where it's like western england or something uh he mentions the idea of like you know a peacock showing up at somebody's house and being like is that a ghost or is that a peacock and it's like well both maybe you know like the, the idea that a coincidence can be two things just happening in the same place right instead of like a thing being fake but okay so you've been told no in this sort of suggestive way do you think if you ever went back you'd be like you know You'd bring, I don't know what boars eat, uh, but like, you know, you bring like a, a bag of chestnuts or something to like yes. make friends with the the keeper of the, of the dead and be like, I'd like to go in there and it, you know, doesn't kill you. So you get to go. I don't know. I, I'd have to see next time I go back. If I ever, next time I go back, I'll definitely keep something on me just in case if it's my life or the pigs i'll take mine so i don't know it, it it will be very depending on whether i go back or if i go back and and maybe has my heart changed then like am i going back there for a different reason you know maybe we were maybe we were you know like i said there was two gates maybe we didn't pay the first gate enough or maybe we didn't pay attention enough to the first gate because we aren't considering this gate like the entrance of the cemetery maybe we're not doing enough divination maybe we didn't do any divination at all and maybe that was our first mistake you know maybe we should have like asked and and you know sat there for a moment and 
um, or maybe it was the wrong offering. So it will be an experimental thing and it will have to continue to be so, hopefully without any blood being shed by others, by something other than by your own uh, choice. Yeah. I, I think that's a good place to kind of maybe put the stake in the heart of this thing and call it good. That was delicious. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, where, if people want to know more about you and they want to find the book, I mean, you're making it by hand. So I imagine it's not being mass produced. Where do they go? What do they do? Let's say they want they want this book and they want it now. Um, what about you? Yeah. If you want to experience the amount of spelling errors that I not only do in my published work or my self-published work, but also through everything else that I write because I have fat fingers and iPhone keyboards are tiny. Um, and I also don't look back at what I write because that is cringy. Um, <laughs> you can find me at Bainx Bramble on Instagram or uh, on my website at BainxBramble.com. There's not much writing there. I think my Instagram is a little bit better. I'm more active on social media but the the website is where i keep all my um my wares um my magical offerings um and i also have a twitter but i never want to funnel anybody there unless unless they're uh willing to just read how much i want to have ghostly spirit sex with jack parsons so i i, I don't recommend that it's also full of like intentionally hot takes to 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 stir divisiveness within our community. So no, I'm just kidding, kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I think I am getting a little bit better at not being so punchy. I think I've been known for being punchy for for quite a while. So I'm trying to not do be this. So, so I'm staying away from red wines and red foods. Oh, so not sanguine necessarily the red wine because it feels like it's, it's kind of blood right it's I mean, yeah, yeah maybe very... you know maybe maybe red wine is quite sanguinous um but i also say like things that upset the stomach and and are mm. uh, aggravating to to the stomach yeah kind of in that choleric nature yeah what's that thing that falstaff says that like talking about like a sack wine being like it, it illumines the face um calling all those of the body to arms that feels very choleric anyway i'm getting i'm getting uh, sidetracked by uh this one orson wells video i just watched over and over again for a while but this has been great thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it come back again next time you do another you're gonna do more of this right yes i will be doing more of these i will be doing more i hope with more writing that comes out i'm always very cautious of people who write too much uh, and put it out very quickly. Mm. Um, so I hope I don't become that. But I also, if you read it, you'll notice that I am critical of the same things that I was just making fun of. So, you know, uh, pot kettle. Anyways, um, <laughs> hopefully hopefully by the time that, that uh, another one comes out, I will have found a better editor and it won't be me. <laughs> because like I said, I don't read the things that I write. You know, it's, it's kind of like the L. Ron Hubbard, you know, write it, ship it, get out the door kind of thing. And friends with Jack Parsons. So I think it's all coming full- it's coming full, full circle. circle. Yeah. Absolutely.
Uh, but yes, I, I will be, I'm, I'm doing a lot of writing on like some vampiric stuff. So um, the sanguinous humor will come out uh, or will be talked about a lot more. Um, I might just put that up on my blog. I don't know, because why monetize off of the things that you do? <laughs> but yeah, it, it was really wonderful being here. And I appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. And it's actually, you know what, we didn't, I have followed you for quite a while. Um, and I've, I knew yeah. you from um, Saturn Vox podcast. Oh, um, cool. And I really enjoyed uh, listening to you and Makala. And so I um, am really grateful to get to know you a little bit more. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Let's, let's keep in touch outside of these sort of formal interactions. Yeah. I don't know how formal I can be. Thank you so much to Austin. I will have links in the show notes where you can learn more about him and you can learn more about the book. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Listener Supported Witch Hassle. Our theme music was performed by Sebastian Bayfestam and recorded by Edford Lee. Good luck with the work ahead. <laughs> <laughs>